0: We've got a handout from the previous few weeks, if you need that as well. Yep. So along those lines, any questions or additional thoughts from what we talked about last week or the week before, studying through habits of grace connected with things like Bible study and and meditation and prayer and those kinds of things. If not, no problem at all. I just wanted to give you an opportunity if you'd had further thoughts on what we'd looked at in previous weeks. All right, this week we're gonna start chapter three of the book, which is on the subject of meditation. The title in the book is Warm Yourself at the Fire of Meditation. And I tried to highlight some of the important points with a series of quotes that are on the the sheet in front of you. One of the first ones that I think is important to note, God designed us with the capacity to pause and to ponder. The biblical name for this art is meditation, which Donald Whitney defines as deep thinking on the truths and spiritual realities revealed in Scripture for the purposes of understanding, application, and prayer. He continues to say, It is a marvelous means of God's grace in the Christian life, perhaps the most misunderstood and most underrated of the disciplines in the church today, and it is the high point of receiving God's word. And then he goes into the the next section about the idea that it's not shocking that this biblical discipline, approach, practice has been corrupted by the world in various ways and so he clarifies where the goal is not let's make use of practical effects of meditation uh... cultivating brain health lowering blood pressure uh... not this idea of emptying our minds instead for the christian meditation means having the word of christ dwell in you richly it is not like secular meditation doing nothing and being tuned into your own mind at the same time but it is feeding our minds on the words of God and digesting them slowly, savoring the texture, enjoying the juices, cherishing the flavor of such rich fare. Meditation that is truly Christian is guided by the gospel, shaped by the scriptures, relying upon the Holy Spirit, and exercised in faith. Man does not live by bread alone, and meditation is slowly relishing the meal. So, when I was thinking about this, I think perhaps an example would be this you can be fed by a mcdonald's cheeseburger and there's there's i mean i don't think there's anything morally wrong with eating a mcdonald's cheeseburger so but in contrast if you've ever enjoyed a really good piece of steak do you gulp it down quickly like the cheeseburger because you're in a hurry and you're hungry or do you pause and enjoy it maybe for you it's not a meat kind of thing maybe you think of your favorite dessert or a really well-crafted salad, or something like that, and you think about all the different textures and flavors and all those sorts of things. Um, and you, th- you you notice about it, you think, does this fit with the other thing? does these do these different elements complement each other? Um, uh, Kelly made a salad where it had. A couple of different kinds of fruit and jalapeno and cheese and some different herbs. I think one of them was mint. We weren't sure if it was mint or spearmint. It was something that smelled minty that was growing in the the garden. So you pause and you taste something like that and you say, uh, is this kind of all the same? Does it have different elements? How do they all fit together? Do they work together? I think we agreed that maybe something in it just didn't quite work together the best, but what it was was something that we'd have to think about it more. But in the Bible, that's not the case. It's not that things don't work together, but at first glance they might not appear to fit together, and we have to turn them over in our in the digestion of our minds thinking about why doesn't this fit? Why does it seem like there's this contrast in flavors, in ideas, in textures? Between these truths. And so that takes work. So, the goal is not to empty our minds. In Far Eastern meditation, you have the picture of the monk sitting quietly by himself, perhaps making a sound. He blanks out his mind and he lets the emptiness of the universe rush in. That's not biblical meditation biblical meditation is not emptying but filling it's not the absence of thought but it is intense thought pondering questioning even moving back and forth between thinking and praying and going back and looking at the text again and and all of these sorts of ideas it is important that it is not disconnected from god's word but rather that it is centered on god's word continues and says that there are many distractions today and there are three important texts in the hebrew scriptures that call for meditation in a way that we should take notice obviously the first one is not directed toward us but being directed toward moses successor joshua i think it is helpful for us to consider in the context of leading a great people the nation of Israel from or into the promised land how does god address joshua turn with me if you would to joshua chapter 1 The Lord speaks to Joshua, acknowledges that Moses was dead, and now it was Joshua's responsibility to lead the people. I'm giving you all this land, he says in verses 3-4. No one will be able to stand before you. I've been with Moses. I will be with you. And then verse 6, Be strong and courageous. You'll give this people the possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you do not turn from it to the right or to the left so they may have success wherever you go this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success have I not commanded you be strong and courageous do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go so in the context of an overwhelming task God comes to Joshua and God says, be strong and courageous, he says this three times, that's in the context of the promises that he has made, but it is made most clear, perhaps, in the nature of the law that has been laid out before the people of Israel. Joshua's task was to lead them into the land, but if he led them into the land, and they failed to pay attention to what god had told them to do in his law they would not have succeeded even if they arrived at their destination right and so joshua like the kings of israel would later be commanded had a responsibility to know to ponder to meditate on god's word, such that he would be able to communicate it to the people and lead them well it says you shall meditate on it day and night Why? so that you can obey it, so that make, then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. There's a sense, I think, in which that is true for us today. Not perhaps in the exact same way. God's not promising to lead us, you know, you live in this house, I'm gonna lead you to another house, and the way to get there is to pay attention to my law, but rather, we will fail in life when we do not consider the words of God. We will succeed in life when we do. And so I think it's important for us to look at this pattern of how God directed Joshua and the significance of it for us as well. Turn over now to the book of Psalms. not only is meditating on God's Word connected with success in life but it is also connected with our ability to resist temptation and to do what is right verse 1 how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the path of sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night Now, the passage doesn't set up a cause-and-effect relationship between those two things, but I think it's certainly very clear from other places in Scripture that delighting in what God has said, in this case the law of the Lord, meditating on it can protect us from sin. Failing to do so leaves us vulnerable to temptation. I think that's borne out by the third passage, which is Psalm 119, in which we have this idea of meditation repeated a number of times. But uh, perhaps we could highlight Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Or verse 23. Even though princes sit and talk against me, your servant meditates on your statutes. Verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts so that I will meditate on your wonders. Verse 48, I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. This idea of meditation is woven throughout Psalm 119. To the extent that David reflected on God's word, understood its truth, and did what it said, He had success in avoiding sin, in leading the people well, in a variety of other things. When he failed to do so, is when he failed in general. And so, while I don't think that Joshua 1, Psalm 1, or Psalm 119 are specific commands, it doesn't say, joshua meditate on my word and everyone else who reads this afterward you guys also meditate on my word it doesn't say that but they are significant examples about the benefits of meditation and the dangers of failing to do so what then is the goal of why God asked Joshua to do this he says here on page um, 57 God means not for Joshua to be merely familiar with the book, or that he read through sections of it quickly in the morning, or even just that he go deep in it and study, but that he be captivated by it and build his life on its truths. His spare thoughts should go there, his idle mind gravitate there. God's words of instruction are to saturate his life, give him direction, shape his mind, form his patterns, fuel his affection, and inspire his actions perhaps a parallel could be fine, parallel could be found in sort of the discussions that circle around how we educate our children. Um, and I'm not arguing that there's one right path to this I'm not, this is not a debate about like, homeschooling versus Christian school versus public school, all I'm trying to do is draw a parallel example to what this is talking about and that's this one of the points that's often brought up is the number of hours that your children are exposed to a particular idea so you have Sunday school an hour a week one hour of 168 hours is ultimately not going to make a dramatic impact on our lives apart from the special working of the Holy Spirit in some way And in the same way, spending 15 minutes a day for a total of see if I have the math right, three and a half hours of the 168 hours in a week is not going to transform our lives in the same way that reflecting on God's word when we have spare moments throughout the day will. So I can hear a truth. we can look at God's Word together on Sunday morning, we can talk about biblical truths in Sunday school, we can maybe hear a different truth on Sunday night, Wednesday night. That is not enough to safeguard us from temptation, to help us advance in our spiritual growth, to make us more like Christ, apart from us also putting in the effort to reflect on those truths at a variety of points throughout the week. Think about when you've been interested in something. Could be anything. Could be cars. Could be you're looking to buy a house, so you're thinking about square footage and mortgage costs and all those sorts of things. It could be a particular topic. Maybe you're interested in history and you're studying World War I, and so you're reading all these books about it. When you are engaged with a topic in that way, what happens? It's what you talk about. It's what pops into your mind when you're not actively doing something else. That's the picture of what I think God wanted Joshua to experience, what Psalm 1 describes, what Psalm 119 speaks of, and what I think the author of this book is arguing that we as Christians ought to uh, consider doing. And so that we don't think that this is just a an Old Testament sort of idea. Turn to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 and verse 20 says you did not learn Christ in this way in the old way of life in which the Gentiles walked if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus that in reference to your former manner of life you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created In righteousness and holiness of the truth. Sometimes we look at this and we say, all right, put off sin, put on holiness, and we skip that middle part, being renewed in the spirit of your mind. That means our thinking needs to be transformed. What has the power to do that? It's God's Word. And what is one of the mechanisms by which that takes place? Reflecting on the truth of what God has said. Or we could turn over also to the book of James. James 1, verse 21, says this, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror... For once he has looked at himself and gone away he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was but one who looks intently at the perfect law the law of liberty and abides by it not having become an a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer this man will be blessed in what he does I, the imagery of the implanted word is fascinating to me i planted some plants this summer and spring what's the difference between a plant that's in a pot and a plant that's in the ground yeah location
1: yeah
0: okay it doesn't put down its roots sometimes we treat the Word of God like a potted plant I'll go look at it I'll enjoy it I'll come visit it as little you know maybe you all don't treat potted plants this way but for me it's sort of like "Oh, that's about to die I guess I better give it some water sometimes that's the way that we treat God's word you know but James talks about the implanted word planted in the garden of your soul technically God does in this passage but have it be planted in the garden of your soul let it put down roots keep looking at it keep watching over it keep thinking about it look at what it says the mirror picture is you look at the mirror you're like yeah my hair could be brushed whatever i'm gonna go away what is part of the thing that makes the person who acts on god's word act on god's word okay what understand what it says okay the prompting of the spirit book of verse 24 he forgets what kind of person he is that's the person who doesn't act on it which means the person that acts on it has to pause think come back to it i don't know if you've ever done this you're on your way to church you're like, "Yeah, I brushed my hair right after I got done with my shower or whatever else." I brushed my teeth when I got. I brushed my teeth when I got up, but then I had breakfast afterward. So I'm going to go back by the mirror and check and make sure everything's still good. That's part of what meditation is. It's circling back around to truth. It's not just, "I've checked my box off for the day. Everything's good." but we keep circling back around to truth. And then it begins to affect our lives because I read something briefly in the morning or in the evening, if I don't continually bring myself back to it and think about it and then that leads to praying, it leads to application, it leads to actual change. If if I don't keep coming back around to it, then it's had as much impact on me as the city of Madison Heights is having a dispute with their trash collector. Okay, interesting fact, not really gonna affect my life. I don't really care enough to drive down to City Hall and have a conversation with them about it. We're not just reading a newspaper here. This is something that's supposed to change our lives, but part of its effectiveness in changing our lives is blunted if we just check a box off and don't think about it throughout the day. So as we continue in our book, he says this: What is the what's the relationship between Bible study, meditation, and prayer? He has a series of quotes from some of the Puritans, which um, not everything the Puritan said was good. But of all the people in the last five hundred years, they spent more time thinking about things than most of us have, right? So there's benefit in reflecting on what they've said. William Bridge says this, "...begin with reading or hearing, go on with meditation, end in prayer." Thomas Manton, "...the Word feedeth meditation, meditation feedeth prayer. Meditation must follow hearing and precede prayer. What we take in by the Word, we digest by meditation and let out by prayer." Thomas Watson, "...the reason we come away so cold from reading the Word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation." William Bates, the great reason why our prayers are ineffectual is because we do not meditate before them. What are they saying is the relationship between reading or hearing God's word and prayer? And where does meditation fit in there? In the middle. You read God's word or you hear God's word, but then you must reflect, meditate, ponder, circle back around to, chew on, I mean, whatever language you want to use, if we want to pray well. Because if I read a passage like, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, and whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. And then I say, God, thank you for this. Uh, Help me have a good day. What's missing? Thinking about the fact that I was damned to hell and God saved me and if that doesn't as he says here warm your heart you don't know God but sometimes our hearts are not warmed not because we don't know God but because we don't think about these truths is there a proper method I guess we could say he points this out on page 59 Christian meditation is less about the posture of our bodies and more about the posture of our souls. The same could be said of prayer. There can be significance to the posture of our prayer, as in lying face down on the ground probably communicates something slightly differently than praying while standing up. But both are valid expressions of prayer. Our instructions aren't, sit on the floor with your legs crossed, Sit on a chair with both feet on the floor and your back straight, palms facing upward. It's less about the posture and more about the condition of our souls in this sense. Christian meditation begins with our eyes in the book, our ears open to the word, or a mind stocked with memorized scripture. Perhaps we start with some broader Bible reading from which we select a particular verse or phrase that caught our attention and carve out several minutes to go deep in it. Then with intentionality and focus, often best with pen at hand or fingers on the keys, we seek to better understand God's words and warm our soul at His fire and let us lead us into prayer and then into the day. And then on the last page, he talks about some of his uh, approaches. He says, I think of meditation as the high point of my daily devotional time. After beginning with a brief prayer for God's help, I read through the assigned passages for the day in a Bible reading plan. As I read, I'm on the lookout for how the passage relates to Jesus and whether there are phrases, verses, or sections that capture my attention for meditation or for study. If study, and it's just a quick question, I can check cross-references or a commentary or study Bible note. If the question is more involved, I make a note for more extended study at some time later that day or week rather than letting it sidetrack my morning devotional time. Some of these notes I come back to later and look into further, some I don't find time for and leave till the next time I come across that text in my reading. If I come across a section of scripture during my reading that inspires me for meditation, I may simply linger there and then transition into prayer and into the day without feeling any need to return to reading the remainder of the assigned passages. I remind myself over and over it's not about checking boxes but communing with God and His Word through meditation and into prayer. In a way, I think of the assigned passages as a biblical fodder for satisfying my soul with meditation and serving as a bridge into prayer. So, in light of that, and before we go on to some of the other practical considerations, I was hoping that we could spend 10 minutes or so having a discussion about what um, practices, approaches, uh, things you have found helpful in doing what we've been talking about this morning, in bridging the gap between I read a phrase in the Bible, I'm praying to God, or I read a phrase in the Bible, I'm going to apply it to my life. How do you do the thinking, reflecting, pondering, meditation part of your relationship with God through His Word? You have fun?
1: Taken something as a part of implementing meditation in my practice, but what I realized—we got the audio book so we were listening to it last night—is because my brain naturally wants to understand everything that I'm reading. I realized. And so I think there is a little bit of a cross between the study and the meditation. uh, But I think that's where I've noticed where God has grown me most is when it wasn't just reading it to read it, it was reading it and then it produced some type of change in my mind that caused a, a different reaction.
0: Good. And along these lines, I think, hopefully, if we've been Christians for a while, we may be doing some of these things. And just not think about what it is that we're doing. And so my goal is not to like criticize people and say, there's one right method to do it or all those sorts of things. I'm simply saying, let's be intentional about it. And if we're not doing it, let's work at doing it. And if we are doing it, let's recognize what we're doing so that we can do it better. So um, good. Anything else? good. And along those lines, and I'm not criticizing the idea of using a commentary. Sometimes we want to jump to commentaries quickly. Because it is easier than trying to figure it out for ourselves. Um, and so like in the passage that we were talking about on Wednesday night, uh, there's this picture of a, a of a wedding procession, that's the, the bride is going to the, uh, the groom, and they're going to be married. And there's this whole picture there and some of the commentaries have the perspective of well if you don't understand Jewish culture at that particular time you just won't understand what the Psalm is saying but if you read the passage a bunch of times you get that you arrive at the same spot you may not understand you may not know it normally lasted seven days or who paid for the wedding or all those sorts of details but those things don't really help you understand the point of the text more they just add additional information that might be interesting. And so my reason for pointing that out is as we go through a text, commentaries are great. Talking to the pastor is great. Um, uh, Using a variety of Bible study tools is great. But before we immediately jump to cross references or to commentaries or all those sorts of things, force yourself to take a little bit of time and just reread the passage a few times if something's not making sense because sometimes it will become more clear just by doing that. All right, other uh, other things that have been helpful for you in your Bible study in this idea of of meditation, of, of understanding and reflecting on God's word. So um, along those lines, look at point two under the practical thoughts there on your sheet. I say this, meditation takes time. And I just give the example. I try to read over the passages for Sunday or Wednesday as much as a week in advance so I can be thinking about it during the day as I'm also working on other things. If what you read quickly leaves your mind, keep coming back to it throughout the day and reading it again, at least that one truth or, or section that you're focusing on. Everyone's mind works differently, we all keep information for a longer or shorter period of time for a variety of reasons. So if you're someone who reads it once and it sticks in your head and then you can just think about it during the day, great. If you're someone where you read it once and then 30 minutes later you're like, I don't know what I read, then maybe the thing for you is to go back and read it again. Um, if, uh, and, and that's where memorization helps as well. For some people, memorization is a difficult task. For other people, it comes easily. And we'll get into the subject of memorization either in the next chapter, or maybe two chapters from now. But my point is to say, not everything works quite the same for every different person. The point is not that we all do it exactly the same way. The point is that we keep coming back to and thinking on what God has said. And a lot of that takes time. So. If I say I'm going to be ready for Sunday, I can't start it on Saturday night. I mean, I can, but it's not going to be <laughs> nearly as good as it would be if I start it before then. Why? Because, in the same way, and I don't know if you ever experienced this when you were in school, if you write a paper and you turn in your first draft, how good is it? Not very. <laughs> but you, you work on it a little bit and you set it aside. You come back to it and you work on it a little bit more. The same thing happens in our development, our understanding of Scripture, and our growing in our relationship with God. Look at point three. Meditation is rewarding. Oftentimes, the truth of a passage doesn't sink in all the way the first time we read it, or or even the second, or perhaps until much later when we've read another passage and the light comes on about the connection and what it teaches us about God, ourselves, salvation, and so on. Sometimes, and this is why I think it's been, it's been helpful for me to go through certain books over and over again. Um, I did a Bible Institute class when I was at Inner City on 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. I also taught it as a Bible study to some folks at a retirement home next to the church. And then I taught it again to uh... the kids in the eighth grade bible class this last fall and so going through that book and teaching through it three times at least now and then i took it as a class before that in seminary and i think once in bible college so going through it four or five times you pick up on things that you missed the first few times and the same is true about other passages and then when you take something like um, first Thessalonians where it talks about the return of Christ or second Thessalonians where it talks about the second coming and you set it alongside for example passages in the Old Testament that talk about God's wrath that starts to make sense in a way that if you only read that by itself it wouldn't make as much sense and so that's part of why I think it's helpful and why Uh, we're going through like Genesis and Michael eventually Exodus Leviticus some of these other Old Testament books is because sometimes what we read in the New Testament we're missing a lot of the background if we don't know the Old Testament well and um, and so in the same way as we read a passage sometimes coming around to it again After we've read other passages, it's sort of like the light comes on, and you're like, wow, I didn't see that about God or myself or all those other things again. Look at the first point as well as we wrap up here. And uh, we kind of went through them backwards, which is is fine. Meditation takes effort, choice, diligence, whatever word you want to use there. We think about what we want to think about. Does it take more or less work to think about the vacation that you have coming up, or the task that you have to do at your job is right this minute probably easier to think about your vacation because that's the thing you want more in that moment in the same way as we are shifting the balance of our desires with God's help toward his word being something that we should delight in like Psalm 119 talks about or something that we enjoy doing it takes work I have to say I'm going to do this even if i don't feel like it even if it feels inconvenient even if it's taking us away time from something else because i'm convinced that it's important it takes work it takes time but it's rewarding there's joy there's benefit Um, brayden and i were talking this morning about something uh with relationship to uh he said something about you know dad i don't want to do this i want to do this other thing and so we just had a conversation about when we do different things i said there's foolishness and there's wisdom foolishness says i want to do this thing because it makes me happy right this minute i said but the way life works there's things you have to do every day whether you're on vacation whether it's summer whether whatever else you just have to do them and part of growing up is realizing there's not always going to be somebody to tell you to do them. And part of it is recognizing that there's benefit to doing them, but the benefit may not be right this second. It may be five days from now, maybe a year from now, maybe a long time from now. Part of maturing in our Christian life is recognizing, like maturing in life, is recognizing things may be difficult in the beginning, they may not seem like they have much benefit at the moment but the more that we stick at them if they're the right things to do the more we reap those benefits as we go on and I think that's true about this if you are not in the habit of doing this regularly I mean maybe maybe we back up and we say you know what I don't read the Bible at all or I don't even think about the Bible between Sunday and the next Sunday so the starting point is to say alright I need to make an effort to to think about God's Word every day maybe that's picking up my bible and reading it maybe it's saying here's the passage we looked at on sunday i'm going to read over that again and think about it Uh, maybe it's listening to the recording of the sermon or you happen to be listening to another sermon on the radio something that provokes you to think about god's word that's your starting point maybe you say "I i i read god's word but then there's long stretches of the day where i don't read it and i don't think about it and it doesn't really affect me So then you say, well, what I need to work on is what this is talking about here, meditation. I need to purposely make points in the day to think about what God has said. Maybe that's setting a reminder on your phone. Maybe that's putting a post-it note on your fridge. Maybe that's, you know, maybe that's as simple as if you're at home and you have one of those timers for how long something's gonna cook in the oven. You set that, and it goes off, and you're like, why is that going off? Oh, I need to think about God's Word. I mean, there's hundreds of ways that you could make this happen. The point is we need to make it happen. You say, you know what? I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, but I haven't really been thinking about what I've, I'm doing. Be a little bit more aware about what's happening in light of our discussion this morning. And then, you're doing this, and you're doing this. All right, so I, 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 I know or I hear... And I understand. Now, what am I going to do about it? Is it going to affect my life? And that's what we'll talk about in some of these upcoming chapters. All right, let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, as we look at your word, we are amazed by the fact that it has spoken to people for thousands of years. And that even as it had application to Joshua leading the people into Canaan, it also has application to us in our daily lives. Perhaps not exactly the same situation. But the same God, the same truth, uh, still true today. I pray that you would help us to look at your Word, not just to, not just to uh, glance at it, not just to snack on it, but to gaze on it, to chew on it, to reflect on it, and to help that enrich our lives as we walk with you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.